Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi there, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week we go deep into the story of loss, tragedy, and resilience on the island of Maui, the deadliest U.S. fire in more than a century. Joining me, Maui Mayor Richard Bisson with a frontline report, and then a real frontline report on the premises with one of the recovery teams on the ground. And then I'll sit down with Beverly Gannon, iconic chef and restaurateur and longtime Maui resident. First up, Mayor Richard Bisson. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Richard Bisson, Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for joining me. Peter, aloha. Thank you for coming to Maui. 
my guess is you've been just a little busy lately. A couple of things happening. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about those couple of things. Sure. Uh, you know, we're now a little more than uh, 100 days since the terrible event, the, the, the wildfires here that destroyed so much of, uh, of Lahaina and impacted so much of West Maui. Uh, it's not a question of, of when you're going to recover or whether you're going to recover. It's really a question, and it falls in your lap, of how you're going to recover. And also, the message you want to send to so many people who, who love Maui, who visit Maui, the tourists and the travelers, about the responsible way of, of returning. But let's first start with the recovery itself. Uh, you know, anybody who, who looks at the damage and looks at the destruction knows there's a rebuilding effort, but we're not talking a couple of months. We're talking a couple of years. Yeah, probably even longer than that, you know, Peter. I think for us, the first thing I would want to stress to your listeners is how much gratitude we have here on Maui for those who have come to our aid, uh, our rescue, you might say, um, from the very beginning. Uh, several organizations, uh, several uh, groups from around the world, uh, other states, obviously from within the United States, but really around the world, uh, we've just had so much uh, outpouring of support and really of, of, of love and aloha for us and our people. Uh, and it's mostly from people who have been to Maui, been to Lahaina, consider Hawaii in times, you know, maybe a part-time home for some of them. Uh, people see the devastation, but unless you've seen it firsthand, the photos don't do not really do it justice. Um what we've experienced here uh, but you're right we have strengthened our resolve our resilience our intention to recover fully uh, from what has happened uh, to us here so again just a sense of gratitude and then also uh, you know we're banding together we've 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 joined together our forces with the federal government our state government our other county partners uh, the nonprofit community, the philanthropic community. So there are lots of hands, uh, people who have experienced this from other states that have called us or we've reached out to them for their expertise, trying not to repeat any of the mistakes they may have made, try to learn from the things that were successful. So it, it, involves, uh, it involves a lot of coordination and involves... Uh, but there's no shortage of people who are offering uh, their their help uh, to help us rebuild. And of course, uh, some of your funds that you've established have, have received a lot of money. There's still a lot more, more money needed. But I mean, we're talking about what in Lahaina alone, 1,200 uh, businesses gone, 110 restaurants gone. We're not talking about like three restaurants. We're talking about everything. Yeah, over 800. Um, yeah, businesses just in the the impact zone, impact area. Um, you know, thousands of uh, jobs uh, that were once you know held. Uh, that's also increased tremendously. I think we estimate maybe around eight thousand uh, lost jobs. Um, eateries, you mentioned restaurants, but eateries. The number I was given was around one hundred and thirty or so. Um, so yeah, lots of uh, lots of impact. Heavy heavy. Uh, heavy losses for us. You know, when you take a look at the, at the GDP here in Maui or on or the, all of the Hawaiian Islands, it is so heavily dependent on travel and tourism. You know, the global 
GDP level for travel and tourism might be 11%. Not 11% here, much higher. You know, and I should have mentioned when we were talking about losses, we lost uh, 100 souls, um, people's lives that, you know, uh, cherished uh, kupuna, you know, elders, um, family members, friends. I mean, that's a, um, that's the greatest loss for this um what's happened in this in this disaster um and then of course as you pointed out um there is a you know there's an economic loss there's of course loss of homes and businesses uh infrastructure damage um there's there's a lot to um to put back together and that's what we're working on right now you know for some but like myself i mean i actually happen to be a fireman in new york i still am and when I walk by and drive by and see the devastation, uh, I can only imagine the almost impossibility of trying to contain that blaze because it was moving at such speed and such intensity that, you know, what, and, and the firemen have told me that, you know, when an ember hit another roof, that roof was already so hot, it exploded. And you, you, can't, you can't put those fires out. Yeah, you know, I, I'll leave the... Uh you know, the, the after-action reports to the experts. Uh, but, you know, I've been with people that have been there, federal folks that just by seeing the destruction can make certain, um, you know, certain statements and uh, calculations about what caused some of what happened or, or have it looked that way. For example, um, the winds, you know, I think a conservative estimate was 60-mile-an-hour winds, and, it, it you know, there have been reports of it much, much higher than that. And proof of that was the way the fire burned and uh, what they called a vertical fire or horizontal, went horizontal rather than vertical. And that uh, that was evident by some of the ways, the patterns of things. And that says a lot, I guess, to somebody who does an investigation of these things, uh, what that must have been like um, for those that were trying to battle the fires and, of course, those that were trying to escape those fires. You were quoted as saying recently that credit doesn't go to the person who predicted the flood, but to the person who figured out the ark. Correct. That's um, what that's what you've got to do now. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that is a saying that you know I have heard many times before, and this is uh, apropos uh, because again, you know, you, you don't give the credit to to the one who predicts the floods. You give the one to who actually builds the ark, and we're we're in a ark building phase right now um trying to build back safer and stronger uh, and there are many aspects to that but it does start with infrastructure uh, which we are still assessing the damage to that clearly there was impact to our water our as well as our um uh sewers uh, that was also the wastewater treatment plant so that's something we're still assessing obviously the utilities the power um you know during the event there was no communications, uh, you know, cell phones, that is, no internet. Wow, yeah. Many of that, much of that went down. There were some severe winds that had already been measured and had caused quite a bit of damage uh, throughout the island, but especially in Lahaina. Um, and so there were several, several factors. And again, just leave it to the experts to decide. Uh, there's several investigations going on right now, uh, obviously multiple lawsuits. So there's so much happening uh, so I think there'll be plenty of information for people to sort through. And not only 
decide what went wrong, but for for most people, what they want to know is, you know, what can we do to move uh, forward to, and to improve uh, our system. Of course, some seem obvious, and then others, I am sure, will learn from the experts. If I were to come here three years ago and ask the locals, what's your biggest challenge in a tourism-driven economy, they'd say housing. It was a problem then. It's really a problem now because so many people lost their homes. Correct. How do you move forward from that now? So we're dealing with, um, because of the fires, uh, emergency housing, right? short-term housing, uh, which went from shelters, evacuation centers to hotels. Um, and fortunately, we have uh, we had the inventory of hotels and rooms here on the island. Uh, not every place has that, and so that was one of our alternatives to do go to non-congregate shelter. Uh, the piece and the period we're in now, interim housing, has to do with you know being taken out of non-congregate sheltering and into longer-term rentals, um, whether they're Airbnbs, condominiums, timeshares. Uh, so that's the period we're in now, trying to house. Uh, as of you know, this date, uh, there are over 6,600 individuals that make up uh, about 2,200, 2,300 families staying in 32 hotels across Maui. Um, and so our challenge and our and our goal is to get those folks into stable and safe and secure housing, um, you know, by the early part of the year, uh, of next year. And that's what we're working towards. Um, we have, again, several agencies helping us, uh, along with the federal government, FEMA. Um, we have, you know, our state of Hawaii. Um, those folks are helping us as well, our own county. And then some, uh, the American Red Cross, several agencies. So that's our that's our current um, condition. Then, of course, uh, long-term housing, whether it's rebuilding on the same area, the same spot, or even to help people build somewhere else on the west side or other parts of uh, Maui. Um, you know, one of our issues is always going to be infrastructure, which includes water. Uh, water, wastewater, um, obviously are necessary. And with the limited uh, resources we have, um, that's going to help determine our policy and going forward uh, where those units can go. You know, because if there's no water, then putting them up there is not the issue. I mean, having land and being able to pop up, you know, 200 um you know, tiny homes or if modular They don't have homes. water, doesn't matter. Yeah, you can put them up on Maui, but you still need to provide them. Now, you know, you'll have people discuss off-grid solutions, and, and that, of course, is a consideration, uh, whether these are going to be temporary homes or long-term homes. You know, we do have long-term home projects that we uh, are aware of, and, you know, with the help of FEMA, you know, the thought is to select areas that are going to have long-term housing, use them for the short-term housing by putting in the infrastructure, the roads, the water, as well as the um, wastewater, put them where the ultimate plan is to go long-term, put them there now for temporary house people there. And when the uh, crisis is, you know, subsided uh, and those homes are removed by FEMA, then the builder, the developer can put their, their more permanent homes on those sites that have already been set, uh, sort of mapped for them. Of course, the other consideration is nobody can go to work if the kids can't go to school. 
Uh, there's certainly that issue. Um, there's a temporary school that is, I think there'll be a groundbreaking on them, just uh, in fact coming up soon next week. Uh, the, the schools here are run by the state, not the county. We're, we're the only state in the union that has a statewide education system, the Department of Education. Um, but that is being worked on, a temporary site uh, for one of our schools that was um, that was destroyed. And then there are some schools that are um, joining other campuses for now until they're, they can be. But you're absolutely right. Um, parents, before they can go back to work, need to feel secure that their children can be in a safe place, not just a school environment. And we haven't even touched on uh, preschool age kids because um, preschools and nurseries and uh, folks that used to, um, you know, do uh, child care, those places were destroyed in the fire. And so parents need that peace of mind that if they are at work, their children are in a safe place, um, you know, being looked after. So there's, there's so many layers to this uh, recovery that we find ourselves in, and we, and we in fact have set up an office of recovery, following the FEMA model of uh, those those six areas that you normally uh, need to focus on: infrastructure, housing, um, natural cultural resources, uh, the economy, uh, health, mental health in particular, which is a big challenge. Mental for health us and right grievance. Now. Yes, and so there's there's lots of uh, Lots of areas that we are focused on, that we have tried to find subject matter experts from within our county, from outside of our county, from our community. And like I said, the challenges are uh, trying to coordinate and move forward with a recovery plan uh, that people can see see hope in what's ahead uh, for them. With an economy that's so dependent on travel and tourism, it's sort of a double-edged sword, Mr. Mayor. You know, tourism is what keeps you going, and yet, right now, you want to make sure that it's done the right way. Uh, a lot of people are asking me, should I even go to Maui? I want to go, but should I go? At a certain point, people were saying, don't go, when in fact, most of Maui is still open and running. Same thing with the other islands. I want to say to my listeners, the best Christmas present you can give yourselves is an atlas, because uh, there are other islands that are still open for business here. It's not The state is not closed. But at the same time, you have that, that challenge of you want to welcome visitors, you want to get as many flights back here as you can because that's what your your economy depends on. But the real question is, how do you do it responsibly and what message do you want to send? R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Um, that's, that's really the key, respect. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons people love to come to Hawaii and to Maui especially is because of the aloha that is shared with them, that they... If they didn't experience before, they experience when they arrive and they leave with and they take with them. And so our greatest, greatest uh, resources are our people um, and the aloha that they share with our guests. So we're, we're known for being very hospitable. Um, but like a guest at someone's home, uh, it's mutual. And so the the visitor should come with, uh, with the idea that I am going to someone's home and I'm going to treat that place as I would when I go to the as a guest of, of any of my friends' homes. Um, I guess that's the simple way to put it. Um, you know, destination management is has been around, and that's something that you'll see uh, also discussed quite a bit, especially now. 
And, you know, I think when tourists visit any place, they should be aware of those places that are designed for visitors and those areas that are not intended for visitors. Um, and, you know, there can be private areas, private lands that, you know, people, as curious as they are to want to see a waterfall, should be understanding that that's not, you know, open to the public. It's somebody's private land that you're crossing or area that you're going into. So I think that's all part of the respect. Um, and, you know, regenerative tourism is another term. You know, we've gone through especially, a lot of different... Especially now. Especially now. We've gone through a lot of different, you know, phases, right? Sustainable tourism or, or, or you know, uh, green... Um, I forget what it was called at one time, where um, eco, ecotourism is the word I was thinking of. Uh, these days, what it is is some... You, you would appreciate a visitor who gives back to the area that they visit. You kind of mentioned that when you talked about the food bank um, as one of those. But you can go and help plant trees, like you said, especially now. You can help do beach cleanups, reef cleanups. You know, you can help do roadside cleaning. You can come over for a, for a convention with a, you know, with a company, and a lot of companies do this. And they'll devote a, a special and, day. Uh, that's, yes, they will. And they will either help with planting or cleaning um, you know, you can be. And isn't that really the essence of travel? Because in the process of doing that, you're building relationships that can last a lifetime. And lots of people that come to Maui come for that purpose. They it's like coming back home. So I mean, we we should not group tourists all in one category because there are different categories of visitor. But I think whoever, whichever category you fall into, I think being mindful of where you're coming to. On Maui in particular, I want to focus on the west side. Maui never closed, a misnomer. Maui never closed. What was impacted is the five square miles that was burnt was shut down uh, by us, by the county, and with the help of the state, was so that people's properties that were destroyed and burned would not be looted. People would not be able to go back to those areas unprotected. So they were closed and shut. So the public couldn't just and drive they're up still someplace. closed. There are there are fewer checkpoints, yeah. but yes, but there's lots of reentry over half of our folks, I believe we've allowed to get back in and, and sift through their things. Um, but I just wanted to highlight what happened to us is our infrastructure was damaged and so there was water and wastewater areas that, you know, that was not available in certain areas. And of course our hotel rooms became our evacuation centers. So it's not that they were closed as much as they were being used for other purposes. They were being repurposed. And so I appreciate all the people who showed patience and tolerance um, from staying in those areas. Now, other places on Maui, South Maui, upcountry Maui, and Pa'i and other places were still available, uh, are still open. And so that's why. And just remember, if you're coming here, it's not about taking a selfie of a bad area. It's about enjoying what is here. Yes, please don't take photographs in the impact zones. There's all kinds of messaging, videos you can watch before coming here so you can answer the questions for yourself, as well as um, signs on the side of the road. My thanks to Mayor Bisson. Next up, I'll survey the damage with Marty Walking, the Debris Mission Manager for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. 
There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Marty Waking, welcome, sir. Thank you, Peter. So I guess the question is, like my reaction when I first came in here with your escort, and I must emphasize to our audience, this is not a tourist destination. You're not going to be coming here at all. I was given special permission so I could come and report it to you. But when you first arrived, Marty, were you as uh, shocked as I was? Yes, sir. Uh, I've done several debris missions, and most of them have been hurricanes and tornadoes. But when I got here in the town of Lahaina and up in Kula, the devastation from this fire coming through such a, a cultural and historic sensitive area it was it was just it just blew me away it was probably the worst disaster i had had been a part of i mean we're sitting here right now temporarily in a car but surrounded by as many as 1500 homes every one of them destroyed to the point where the heat was so so intense that the metal from the cars and anything that was metal literally melted into the concrete uh, and yet the juxtaposition is as we're sitting here we're looking over the beautiful ocean and we're looking over at Lahaina i mean it's it's quite the juxtaposition and it's it's biz- i have to say it's bizarre it's surreal so what is your mission right now? Because, you know, this happened more than three months ago. And now you guys are on, on scene along with how many other agencies? We have several agencies here from uh, federal agencies that are supporting this from US EPA. Of course, FEMA's here. The Corps of Engineers, just one small entity of a larger force from the Army and Department of Defense. We have everybody that's like the security is being uh, National Guard. Army National Guard is doing the security, keeping everybody out of Lahaina and they have we're allowing rights of entry for uh, people to come in and go through their home residence yes sir but if they're allowed to come through their home uh, let me try to paint the picture there's little if nothing that's salvageable it's all gone yes sir like i said tornadoes people come back and they can find stuff but when i got on ground here just a few weeks ago i did find out i was asking some people about it and they are coming back and finding jewelry and and family heirlooms and stuff like that so that 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 made me feel a lot better that they are being able to come back and at least find something of their past life still left and of course it's not about just cleaning up debris that's just one small step of the process because you got to worry about toxicity you got to worry about explosive materials all the propane tanks. You got to worry about about soil and and chemicals. Then you got to worry about historic artifacts that may be here of of huge cultural and historic significance. Yes, sir. So before we can even let a a homeowner come back in and see their property, EPA comes on and they take care of all the hazardous waste material, like making sure propane tanks are drained. And then they encapsulate the ash to make sure that it's, it's locked down in ashes clean. I mean, sitting here and looking out as what, what you and I are looking at right now, there's not anything that's alive except way over there, there's one palm tree that somehow avoided it, yeah. and that's still green. Everything else is charred, melted, destroyed. 
It is. It's pretty devastating, but it's funny. You can you can go around and you see the banyan trees, and they're starting to come back. Some of them are. It just amazes me that these trees have been around for hundreds of years, and they've hit this devastating fire, and yet they're still, Mother Nature's still coming back strong. That gives you hope. It does give me hope. And, of course, I could ask you this question, but I think I know the answer. How long are you guys going to be here? You don't know. Don't know. Not at all. We're... We're tracking hopefully by March of 2025, but that's that's a super moving target. When people first enter this area, whether they're federal agency folks or or residents, what's the thing that surprises them the most? Probably just the total devastation that everything, before you start looking, everything just looks like it's gone. I mean, you've done tornadoes in, what, in Kentucky and Tennessee. You've yes, done sir. Katrina in New Orleans and in Mississippi. Nothing like this. Nothing like this. Wow. In Mayfield last year, I was down there when the tornado went through Mayfield, and it hit directly downtown. It went through the right, the center of town. Knocked, knocked the top off the uh, town hall. Uh, yeah, right through the center of town. And, you know, a tornado debris path is only a mile wide. It, it, you know, that's at, large. At, at most. This is like a whole town just gone. And it went in record time. Yes. It went through in, I think it was like 15, 18 minutes is what I've been hearing here on the ground. I mean, you're dealing with winds between 60 and 80 miles an hour. And as some of my listeners know, I'm also a fireman in New York. When you're dealing with a fire with wind that may be moving, the fire may be moving at two and a half to three miles an hour. That may not seem like it's fast. It's really fast. It covers an amazing amount of ground in a very short period of time. And then, as you saw, you see the metal that's melted on the ground. That's the intensity. It went through fast, but it was so super hot. And because it was so super hot, the, the buildings that weren't on fire were ready to explode when the first ember hit them because they had already reached their flashpoint. Yes, sir. And that's something that you just can't, you can't fight that. I don't care what fire department you're in, you can't save it because it's, it's moving. You can't get ahead of it. Yeah, I've had some little brush fires get out of control, <laughs> raking leaves and stuff, and that's it's hard to catch up to one. Well, Marty, I think you and I would both agree this is not raking leaves. No, it's not. Not at all. And now, there are so many different processes you have to go through before a resident can actually retake their property, if they're even in a position to do so, right? You've got to, first of all, get the right of entry from them, the permission to enter the property. Then you've got to make sure that anything that's explosive or flammable or combustible is neutralized. Then you got to do soil samples to make sure there's no toxicity in the soil. And you're scraping that soil, what, six inches down? Yes, sir. Six inches, first cut. Then we take soil samples to make sure anything that was left by the fire, we've, we've removed. And then if the soil samples comes back clear, then we will reseed for erosion control. And then we'll get county approval to... And then, of Get course, there's normal. digging in to find out the historical significance of the property and whether or not there, there's religious or cultural history there that has to be preserved. Yes, sir. Um, and then, and only then, when all of that is done and the county approves it, can you actually start removing stuff? Right. Wow. So we're talking a long-term process here. Yes. We should be done with our phase one assessments here in Lahaina probably, probably in mid-December which will enable us to start get, getting the cultural resources, or, yeah, getting the culturals done, getting the ROEs done, the, the rights right of, of entries, entry. 
and getting the hazardous site assessments done. And that will move us into where we can actually come in and start phase two, which will be the actual debris removal. And then once we get the debris off, that's when we, we, do, we dig down, get the soil down six inches, and we take the samples. And then from there, hopefully, uh, we can restore the site and it'll be back to normal. My thanks to Marty and his team. Beverly Gannon is a legendary restaurateur and chef and longtime Maui resident. She has just a few things to say about how Maui charts its recovery path, and she doesn't mince words. How long have you lived here, Beverly? 43 years. So I think she knows a little bit about what's going on. Beverly Gannon, welcome back. Aloha. So, I mean, you've seen Maui at its best. You've seen Maui at its worst. And you've seen Maui at its most conflicted uh, in terms of how it emerges in the world of travel and tourism and still maintains an identity, a culture, a history, and an opportunity for people to actually live normal lives. Give me the sit rep from you. Not normal right now. Uh, what's happened here, uh, it, it is, it's a catastrophic disaster in a small town in Maui. You know, it, it's, it's it, the actual fire burned down everything in Lahaina. And, and by the way, let me just give people a sort of a sense of place. No matter where you're visiting in Maui, no matter where you are and what, what part of the island, there was, up until August, a reasonably good chance you would spend at least one day in Lahaina. Correct. Everybody wanted to go there. The old whaling town, the history, the culture, the, 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 the galleries, the restaurants. A hundred restaurants. A hundred restaurants are that are gone. gone, absolutely gone. Gone. Yeah. And all the people who worked in those restaurants are going, now what? Um, I think for those of us who live here and have lived here a really long time, this is my home. We moved here in 1980. And we've seen the ups, the downs. We've gone to three or four different types of disasters. This one is like nothing else that anybody's ever seen. We're on an island in the middle of the Pacific, uh, any kind of help that comes in has to come from the mainland. Uh, we, we already had a huge housing crisis, a huge housing crisis here. Which predated the fires, of which course. Which pre totally predated the fires, that we cannot get affordable housing built on this island. Uh, the red tape and the years of bureaucracy and what you have to go t through to just get 100 homes built that could be affordable... Um, now, it, it, it's like a 10-point earthquake here. Uh, and from our side, I live in a neighborhood where we lost houses. You know, there was a fire very close to my house. Uh, and so when you see all this going on, for those of us who are here, we go, okay, guys, throw away the playbook. You cannot handle this the way we've handled it before. You can't make it take five years to get a building permit to build a house. You can't make it be 10 years to get a building permit to build an affordable housing subdivision. It's called We Need It All Happening Now. Throw out the old playbook. Bring in a new thing so that things have to happen now. Uh, and the most critical thing with this is to get people into homes, into tiny homes, however you can do it to have them start getting a nor somewhat normal life back. 
um, everybody's been affected here. It's not just the people who had their houses or their businesses burned down. It trickles into the rest of the island. That being said, the rest of the island is ready to welcome tourism in. They're ready to welcome dollars coming into their restaurants or their dry cleaners. They or never their closed. Grocery they store. never closed. They never closed. Some businesses did close because there was no business. Right. But we've been through that before. We've been through 9-11. We've been through the big depression in 2009 where a business just went away here. But what you have to look at is if we don't have tourism here, if we don't have people coming in and doing what they love doing in Maui, which we love showing them what to do in Maui, is uh, it will all fail. So it's critical that all of this stuff starts happening now. We don't have time for our county council to argue, for our mayor to argue with this person over here, for uh, we, it's our old way of doing business. The old way of doing business in Maui is to make it as hard as you can to do business <laughs> in Maui. And we all talk about it. All the conversation with all of us who live here with all of our winter birds who are coming back, how are they not like building hundreds of homes right now, tiny homes, tents, whatever, build a village. Build, they go and set up uh, housing like little villages in a war very fast, right, where there are places for people to go. Nothing's happening. It's so slow right now. And moving forward with that, they want to get the people out of the hotels, understandably, where are they supposed to go? If they don't have any housing, so where are they going to go? They're leaving. There are people talking about, I was born here, I was raised here, I have my family business here. Most of it burned down in the fire. I have no place to live. We're living 12 people in a house. I think I'm going to move away. And those are all the people who are brilliant and smart and, and business-minded. They made Maui. They made Maui, and what happens when everybody goes away? You know, it's one of the most expensive places in the country to live. It's one of the hardest places in the world to do business. And what I don't see, which is really disheartening, is anybody really kind of stepping up to the plate and saying, we have to not follow those rules that we had before. We have to be able to make somebody have a building permit tomorrow so that they can build something. We need to get all the Airbnbs out of here right now because that was one of the crucial things with us that tanked our rental market is mainlanders came in. They buy 10 houses up. They don't even live here. They took those houses out of the rental market, and nobody has a place to live. I have a friend I ran into the other day. She said, I've lived in my place 15 years I'm being evicted now. My lease is up. She's not renewing it because she can Airbnb it and make more money. So how do you take care of your own when there are things being put in place that allow somebody to come in from the mainland and run those businesses and homes? We don't have any kind of rent control here, which we need. Um, and we now have, I think it's 12,000 people out of a place to live. 
we didn't have those places for them to live before. We didn't have places for a thousand people to live before. We can't keep doctors and nurses here because there's no place for them to live. They can't find affordable housing. So I guess where I've gone with all this is we need to be able to house people here in order to continue. And, and I mean, Maui, I'm sitting here talking to you, looking at palm trees, pine trees, and the ocean going, there is no place in the world for me, and I've been all over the world, that is more beautiful than Maui. I wake up every morning, I drive down my driveway, I see the ocean, I go, I'm so lucky to live here. But if everybody in the world of government and the world of how are we going to handle this don't get out of their own way and start realizing that this is a whole new scenario, um, Maui's going to change big time. And at the same time, you want and you need people to visit Absolutely. And what, what they need to know is that every other place on the island is open. Lahaina isn't Maui. Lahaina is a small part of Maui. So come. It's gorgeous. Thank you. Help us. Come spend your money in our hotels and our restaurants and our, our parks and our zip lines. My thanks to Beverly, to Marty Walking, and to Maui Mayor Richard Bisson. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, you know what to do. Just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.